Hello, everybody. Welcome to season two of Mix It Up with ML. I could not be more excited to kick off this new season with my dear friend, Abraham Cruz Pena. And Abraham recently graduated from Princeton University last week, in fact. So big congratulations in order. Um, and Abraham graduated from the School of Public Policy and International Affairs and got a certificate in entrepreneurship in French. So I'm super stoked to learn about Abraham's, you know, life experience. We're going to take this podcast places <laughs> um, and his interest in VC and startups. Abraham, thanks for coming on, my boy. Dude, it is an absolute pleasure to be here. I am so happy to start season up, season two strong. Yes, sir. You know, it's such a pleasure, one, to catch up, but two, to have this opportunity to engage in a, in a new novel way amidst COVID barriers, you know? Dude, this guy is eloquent as all hell. I love this guy. Can't wait to have him on. Um, so Abraham, we like to start off the pods, you know, with just some context for some listeners who may or may not, you know, know the both of us. Yeah. Um, and I like to have the guests just sort of talk about how we met and where it went, bro. And I'm not sure how we met. I'm trying to remember. So I, I want to hear what you have to say here. <laughs> no, yeah, definitely. Uh, the first thing that pops in my mind, I also was like, where did we meet? We definitely met at, through Cap and Gown, the eating club at Princeton. We were both a part of for listeners who don't know what cap and gown is. Um, we met at cap and gown. You were like this vivacious, tall presence. And I was like, I, I want to know him. I want to speak to him. I want to know what his mind is about. And I'm so glad I did because it's not, it's just fruitful to have someone as, as positive in my life as you, man. Like you bring this energy, this aura with you. That's like, it's incomparable in other words. And I, I appreciate it. And we met through cap and gown at, at some some party, I think. Some party, bro. Some I, party. This is ringing a bell for sure. Thank you for the kind words, bro. Just know I feel the same way about you. Honestly, not just saying that. I, I love the energy. And, you know, I think we uh, started this pod by like, I, I commented on one of your Instagrams, I think. And I was just like, what's up, my boy? And then you were like, let's get on the pod. It just happened, bro. I love yeah. spontaneity. Let's do it, dude. For sure. Let's go, dude. I'm excited. Brother. All right. So, you know, one of the main things that you and I talked about briefly before, you know, coming on this pod and, and you mentioned this is what you're interested in talking about. Um, it's just your desire to speak on the immigrant experience at Princeton University. Right. So to lead into that, can you just talk a little bit more about sort of your background and then yeah. tell us more about, you know, when, how, where, why? you know, you got interested in attending Princeton and sort of like, let's go through that journey. Let's talk about it. And yeah, lots man. of other things like once we get to Princeton, you know, but for sure, I want to hear sure. about that background, dude. That's a, that's a great question. You're, you're, you're pacing, great pacing. Um, <laughs> basically I'm, I'm, I'm Abraham, like everyone, I'm Abraham. Nice to meet you. Uh, I'm from South Texas. Okay. Right on the, the southernmost part of the U S it's like five minutes, 10 minutes from the Mexican border. Um, I was born in the U.S., but I was raised in Mexico for like four or five years when I was young, when I was a baby. And then my mom got offered a job and to work in the U.S., so then we're like, okay, to the U.S. And obviously the education, right? Education is the most important thing. That's why immigrants come to this country, education. Mm. And uh, yeah, so I came to the U.S. I went to an Episcopalian, uh, small Episcopalian private school. So we had a chapel every morning, bro. Wow, bro. Um, yeah, and I was raised by like, amazing amazing motherly teachers They're, they were all white which is interesting mm. because they, they were like no spanish is loud um so i had to kind of mask that part of me okay uh, so at a young age even at princeton we can get more of that into that absolutely so i had to mask this other identity like identity at home i can only speak spanish my parents don't speak english um but at school you know prim proper english you know mm. uh so it was interesting always always meeting the two the two cultures obviously had a a riff off between uh, within my mind within my body but it wasn't until like I got into Prince I got like later in, at Princeton ending Princeton I noticed like that has an effect on you when you have a, a Mexican American with cultures Mexican cultures Mexican traditions Mexican uh, upbringing when you integrate that into a U.S. system there's mm -hmm. clashing there's clashing clashing of ideals clashing of values clashing of uh just way of life and like standard of life is just much different and like priorities are different. Mm. So parsing through that has been like a whole journey, like, like Latino. And uh, so, yeah, that's a little more about like 
a Mexican-American, like I said, my parents immigrated to the U.S. Um, both of them come from like poverty. So, you know, they're, they did so much for me and my brother, my older brother. And uh, my only job growing up was school. They were like, your job is school. We'll handle the rest. Right. And uh, I was like, sure, I'm cool with that game. I was a spoiled kid. Uh, everything I wanted, I was like, oh, I want this toy. My mom was like, sure, sure. Love the uh, So, Right. I was a spoiled kid. Not like Princeton spoiled, but like Texas spoiled, you know? Right. And uh, the thing is, uh, growing up, like, again, nice school. Uh, you have your parents telling you to do work, work really hard in school, push yourself. Um, then something happened when I was in the fifth grade, uh, like something with like immigration and my mom lost her job. And it was a like, it's strange. Like my family is like, my dad was like the stay at home dad. He would help my mom. My mom was the income maker, which is super strange for Mexican families. Mm-hmm. Right. So then I don't know when that happened that our standard of living went from like our standard of living went from like a hundred to like low. Right. And so I was like, wow, this is out of my control. I can't do anything about this. So little old, let's try to be excellent. Abraham was like, you know, let's get to work. I got a job at 13. I started working really young mm-hmm. uh, on the weekends when I, when after sports, go to go to, go to work. What'd you um, do? I, I was a cashier and a skating instructor at a local skating rink, bro. Unreal. Yeah. I was, uh, it was interesting. The way people treat you is not, not the best. So that job really humbled me. And then I doubled down on, a, on school, man. Uh, I doubled down on athletics. I played football and I ran I track. In high school, you played football. I saw yeah, that. Yeah, in high school, yeah. Um, I tore both of my ACLs, not together, like a year apart. <laughs> so it's been a journey, man. It's been a journey. But yeah, I tried really hard in school because like, you know, the sacrifices my parents did to come to the US, like you, it's a burden. It's a burden on your, whether you want it or not, whether you accept it or not, it's there. Mm. And a burden and on you. you a mean. burden on me, yeah. Yes. On, the, on the child. Yes. They're like, oh, we wanted to get a better education. Let's give it to him. But there are consequences, no matter like, even though they're bad or good, I'm super privileged. I know I am. But there are psychological consequences when you integrate a Mexican kid into a U.S. system and you throw him out in the deep end. And then when you get into Princeton, bro, even like treacherous waters. That's why the, the one constant in my life has been like my attitude and my person, like the way I treat people. That's the only constant that I am in control of. And ever since then, I'm just doubling down on that and, and making sure that that's in check, that that is like feeding those around me so that this is selfish, but so they can feed me as well. And so that I can, mm. it's like a community, right? right. And yeah, I, I was in, I tried really hard in high school. Again, I got a job. Um, and I think I grew up really fast. I grew up really fast. And that like spoiled kid was like gone, like non-existent. Mm. Uh, but yeah, you know, it's been a roller coaster. And uh, I had an opportunity to go to, a summer program at Princeton called Lita. And I think this is the way, this is how I first found out about Princeton. Got I mean, it. I knew about Princeton through like movies and like, oh, it's, it's Princeton. <laughs> but it wasn't until going to this program called Lita, Leadership Enterprise for a Diverse America, that, uh, that I really like actually, hey, this might be possible for me. It's a program for first-generation low-income students in high school. Your junior year of high school, you spent uh, t- seven weeks at Princeton in Forbes, in Forbes College. Wow. And you do like a, you do like four things. The first thing is like standardized test prep. Okay. They give like professional tutors, private tutors, um, in a classroom environment. We do college visits, man. We do visit mm-hmm. all, most of all the, most of the IVs are really, really selective, uh, liberal arts colleges like, uh, Georgetown or where else do we go? I don't know. Uh, Columbia. I'm spacing out. Right. Whatever. Um, yeah. We know the vibe. Right. And the third thing they do is, uh, a class called aspects of leadership where you kind of just deconstruct from a, from like a pedagogy perspective, like an academic perspective, like academic re- old writings and literature on leadership and how that plays out into society today. Hmm. Um, so that was a huge culture shock because it was, it was kids from all over the country, man. Someone from Hawaii, someone from Ohio, uh, different races, like black, Asian American, right? Like, um, so it was a big culture shock and it was that, then and there where it was all these, all these first gen kids not knowing how to pave the way and all of them had the same struggle, but they were, had the same goal. Mm-hmm. I found solace in having the same goal amongst us ourselves, despite the fact that we didn't agree on everything and we were different. The one place all of us found solace is that we're reaching higher education. And I came back to the Valley. I came, the, the place where I'm from is called the Valley, the Rio Grande Valley. Right. So I came back to the Valley and I had was this. Was that new, like when you came back? 
it was alienating, man. Like, I have this new mentality. I have this new attitude of life. Um, new culture shock. It opened my my eyes to like completely different world. I'm a, from a very homogenous Latino community. It's like we are the majority. Like we're 80, 95% of the population is, is some, some semblance of mm-hmm. uh, Latin, Latino or Latina or Latinidad. And yeah, so I came back. I felt a, I had this new goal. I was like, hey, I can go to Princeton or hey, I can go to an Ivy League. Princeton was the only Ivy I applied to other than Stanford. I got waitlisted at Stanford. I got into Princeton. There you go. Um, but it wasn't me, right? It was, it was me, but it was with an effort, with a village, right? There's a Pete. I think people fail to hype up those that are in their village that got them to where they are, whether mm-hmm. it was my parents, whether it was the people that treated me strangely at the cashier skating instructor job. It was all these, all these moments in your life. And they lead up to like this one mon- monumentous moment, getting into Princeton, getting into an Ivy league. Um, you don't know how to react. You know, there's no rule book. There's no guidebook. And if there is, I need it or to give it to other people. Um, but yeah, I got in and uh, I, I mean, I applied, right. But it was through the help, the letter of recommendation from the from the program leader. It was through the um, through seeing all these kids that previously I was in the cohort twelve, but there's like all these other cohorts from years prior. All of them went to like or not all of them went to really competitive universities. Mm-hmm. And I think in my class, I think like twenty five students went to Stanford, fifteen of us went to Princeton, and wow. it was a, a hundred person cohort. Yeah. So you know these we're going to these institutions and but I I didn't feel alone. Right. So even though it, I was alone, I, I wasn't alone. You know, if I couldn't share, I couldn't share with my community in the Valley. I could share with the people that I spent the summer with. And it was then and there it was like in high school, I think there was a very toxic culture on like academics that are like, I have to be the best. And freshman year, completely bought into it. Sophomore year, completely bought into it. Junior year, still bought into it, but like a little bit less. And senior year, I stopped. Like when the, fo- the second you stop focusing on like competing with everyone else and just compete with yourself. Mm. life becomes this blissful like yes. this is obviously I'm, it's kind of romanticized but life becomes this blissful like oh i'm my own I'm, I'm, I'm my biggest weakness and i'm my biggest strength and uh yeah so it was then and there that i was like hey i can do this um i'm gonna focus on myself i'm gonna focus on how i treat people i'm gonna stop i'm gonna stop doing all-nighters senior year uh because they're bad for your health but um yeah and so i i got in luckily it's a little long-winded, but I hope I pass on like, and as an immigrant, I didn't even talk about it when I got into Princeton. So, yeah. Yeah. Keep going. Uh, you know, Princeton, Princeton outlines a very like high degree of diversity in their, in their, in their racial. Yeah. Yeah. That's I, what I, I wanted to, to ask you about. Yeah. Keep I have going. to disagree, man. I have to very much disagree. Um, I found it very difficult to connect with my Latino roots um, at first like the first year. But then I joined this Latin dance company called Mosflow. Mosflow. And I don't know if you ever knew or met David Lopera. He was class of Great guy. Great guy. He is the one that kind of like, he was my mentor at Princeton. Mm. He's also, he's a Colombian. And uh, he, he, I got into the Mosflow. We really vibed there. I didn't have to explain my culture. I got to dance. I got to express my body in a new way which is wonderful, like, you know, dancing, salsa, bachata, merengue, cumbia, all yeah. these things that were my culture. But I, I mean, at Princeton, it feels a little bit strange to, like, I have to ask for permission to do that, mm-hmm. you know? So this is a place where I didn't have to ask for permission. Right. I didn't have to, like, worry if others were, like, I didn't have to worry about taking space, taking up space mm-hmm. with my identity. Yes. And, uh, but yeah, this is a community that I, I felt comforted by, um, yeah, and it's very difficult, I think, on campuses. Like, the reason about diversity is that, like, I think Princeton. I'm not calling. I mean, I love Princeton. It's, it's an, an you awesome. Do. Yeah, place. absolutely. But there are some things that you know should should be called out on or like can be improved. Mm-hmm. And I think Princeton does a really good job at like their diversity numbers are like international diversity, like international Latin Latinos. And not like American, like people that are either from in the U.S., like Mexican Americans. I, I, I wish uh, there was it was there, but I wish there was like a more dedicated effort to 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 stay connected within a campus because mm. half the battle is obviously letting them in, right? Letting us in, right? But the the next part is like the work doesn't stop there. It's how mm. can you make those people once you're let in integrate 
and, and not feel as alone and not feel like tokens tokenized mm -hmm. so um there's a lot of time to adjust to that but uh you know i found my i small i found small communities like friends here friends here i, I never had like a dedicated friend group at princeton it was always like floating mm -hmm. i have people i love i have people i trust i have people that i relied on but um yeah does that make any sense bro it makes total sense and my question for you is do you feel like that distinction is between sort of like racial and ethnic diversity versus like socioeconomic diversity would you agree with that or is that too you know i guess clear cut or or not getting at the ambiguity would you agree with that i think uh, it might not be getting at the ambiguity ambiguity but um i was i was also part of a cfp so to right. your point socioeconomic status right most of the people that i mean most of us were not white right and civ peer and fsi i did the summer program going into princeton called fsi mm -hmm. it was like you take two classes for credit it's for first-gen students kind of just getting getting acclimated to princeton mm -hmm. wonderful experience i made friends without that program i would have never made friends um i wouldn't i wouldn't have like a strong bearing my first year my first semester right so i'm also super thankful for that to your point, I think so. Maybe there is like a, a linkage between like that diversity of race and then that diversity of socioeconomic status. Right. And so I guess my question would be, you know, what kind of things would you have wanted or did you find helpful? Like you talked about Moss Flow or um, what kind of things could a place like Princeton or any other, really any other college in America for anybody who's listening to this, right? Who might resonate with your background? Like, what sort of things should they look for on a campus or like what can these universities do to improve that, that feeling, right? Because we have those pipeline programs like LIDA, right? But then even when you get in, like you said, the work doesn't stop there. What can these, these places do to make the environments more inclusive? For sure. I definitely think like, I'm not well-versed in this at all. Right. But if I had to comment like initial first thoughts, I think probably... I think the responsibility might be on students, mm. right? Like, I think, it's, I think blaming so much or putting so much onus on the university I love that. or on a university is a lot. Like they're already, they're already trying and they are doing a lot, but it's, I think it's all dependent on what like the current existing student body population of like say first generation students, immigrants, um, what, what their needs are. Cause I feel like if you have a cookie cutter approach, if I give you an answer right now, mm. I don't want it to be like a quick, it's like everything is, I don't agree with cookie cutter like solutions. I think everything is always best tailored to the existing population at hand. So I don't know if it's a survey asking us like, what would you have, like as an alumni now, Abraham, this is the university speaking, what would you have wished um, your freshman year? I think maybe like, uh, but the thing is, I also don't want to just like, for example, I would have enjoyed like a primer with all like the people that resonate or have the same affinity as I do, like mm. Latino or Spanish speaking or immigrant or first generation. I feel like there was, there was like a, not a ceremony, but like an, in, like an introduction tailored to us. They're like, but that also, again, is like, we don't want to like, it's blurry. It's murky water. Right. You also don't want to divide, right? Yes. The whole purpose of education is meshing. Yes. But I don't know, maybe it is, but that's what we need. Like an introduction, like, Hey, we see you. One, mm. congratulations, you're valid. Two, we see you. Three, see each other. Yes. They, sh yes. they shouldn't, I don't know if doing anything further, but just like, hey, see each other. Right. And they also found like, it's also like strange, unless you don't hear someone speaking Spanish or if someone's white passing like me, right. like that's a big privilege. Uh, you don't really, you don't want to impose and be like, hey, are you, are you Latino or are you Latina? Like, no, you're like, that's, I mean, you could, like my personality sometimes like, I'll just do that. But yeah. it's also like, you know, like it's also maybe off-putting because if mm. they're not like, oh, sorry. But mm. um, it's not as common to be like just upfront, like, hey, well, what are you? Right, right. Because um, that, that's just one part of your, of your identity. Right. So all that to say, I think the onus is on the students. Um, but I think the university can do is just show who's here. Mm. Right. Mm. And that's like half the battle. Once we know, then we're like, okay, well, now we, we have to do something about it. Right. It's like a give and take. Does that make yes. sense? It does make sense. And I think I love what you said about making sure that people see each other. And I think for me, 
Moss Flow did a little bit of that, right? Where like I came to some of y'all's shows, right? And yeah, and that's a wonderful opportunity for somebody like me who's white to <laughs> go and experience, you know, your culture and and everything that comes with that and just a bite-sized experience. And then I feel like that even brought me and you closer together, right? Because for sure, you know, I could like talk to you about that at Cabin Gown. So I think it's I love what you said about it being on the students as well, right? To like put together organizations like that and get each other to come to each other's stuff. So I, I like that as opposed to putting all the onus on the admin. Yeah. Right? I like that. I like that. But it also might be difficult. Sorry, the last thing I'll say is- No, yeah. The onus is on us. That's what I said, right? But it becomes difficult when there are organizations on Princeton's campus that are like, like Latino-centric. Mm-hmm. It's just like participation's low, or something always happened. Like people don't really feel inter- connected when, when in those spaces. So it's, I, I don't know. I don't know, man. Like I, I couldn't, I couldn't tell you. Like there's just so me. many, like there's like a gala. There was like a gala once and that was awesome. It was like a Latinx gala, gala. Yeah. Super awesome. But it's like, you know, we only congregate or most, I, my, 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 my own experience, lived experience. Yeah. I only went to those events um because like there were celebrations and you know it was a special occasion mm-hmm. and i noticed that participation would only be for just like big events such as that and participation for all the other like smaller things mm. i noticed that there was less and i noticed that there was just like not as much hype or energy or mm. buy-in and i think partly it has to do with princeton's academic rigor like <laughs> we, we are inundated with so much bullshit man <laughs> Like we barely know. So if they want us to like focus on academics, if we're in a sport, focus on a sport. If you're in an organization, focus. There's no time to check check how you're doing, like, and then make sure you're 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 finding your tribe. You just have yes. to like go with the punches. Right. And and bro, I think on that point, you know, um, two things come to mind. One, do you think that has to do with what you were saying? Because I want to hear more about this. What you were saying about the clash between like your Mexican culture and trying to fit into like American culture. Oh, that's good. Do you think that sort of, you know, gets heightened at Princeton or is that kind of like, what do you think about that? Is that contributing to sort of people getting to Princeton and, you know, there is this, this community, but then the participation might not be as high. Do you think that has something to do with it? And then after you answer that, I kind of want to dive into like, building healthy relationships at Princeton. Like, cause For we sure. talked about that as well. For sure. But yeah, I'm, I'm, I want to hear your thoughts here. No, that's a great question, man. The way you pose it is wonderful. Yeah. Um, I do agree that when you enter Princeton and you have different like values, priorities from back home, like let's say Me- Mexican culture is very big on family. Get very specific here. Yeah. I want to hear with this. your friends, right? These yeah. two things, loyalty with your lo- loyalty to your brethren, right? To your like people, your tribe. Yeah. But when you enter Princeton, it's a very individual, like it's kind of like very individualistic mindset. Like everyone's on their own journey. Every student is going to do what's best for them. Mm. I mean, obviously you have friends, but at the end of the day, only you have yourself. And so I felt like I had to abandon some of those like primal, like Latino, Latinidad instincts of like doing stuff in groups or doing things together. Mm. Um, it was much more difficult to do that. So it's, I feel like I had to abandon it to another to adapt to the U.S. Exactly. You know, individualistic mindset. And, you know, it's like, I don't know if there's an alternative, right? There's no fix to this. It's just bringing it up more and more gives awareness. And maybe in the awareness, there's, there could be change potentially. Yes. But as far as like a cookie cutter, like way to fix this, I don't know. I'm just sharing with you. Like oftentimes you enter into this, like, what do you call it? Like a big, big pond, big fish in a big pond. This is Princeton. It's a new one. Something like that. Yeah. Small big fish, pond. big pond, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. No, Princeton's big fish or big pond, right? True. I feel like, like a small fish, though. Just oh, okay. <laughs> fair, fair. Sorry. I mean, I think all of us feel like small fish. Right, right. When we I'll realize it. it in the grand scheme of things, <laughs> um, you have to, if you want to, if you want to swim, if you want to like thrive, you really have to like buy into the, not buy in, but you kind of have to like not forfeit your values either mm. or forfeit your way of life back home, but. You have to adjust to what's what's available and what's there. Mm. And when there's no time and no bandwidth to do things like to hang out, to have a conversation, um, it really throws you off, right? It threw me off my game because that's what I was used to. I was no, I was used to like having time for actual real deep connections. Going to your question about building healthy relationships. 
it's uh time is the biggest no it's not time it's commitment like people either commit to it or don't and time is a factor in that the decision to commit or not yes um but i think prince i mean prince well, as a princeton student i always blame time but in reality it's like how committed are you to the friendship or how committed are you to, to meeting with people but it's all about trade-offs like oh, okay i'm not going to study this piece at all. i'm not going to study for this mm. final no i'm going to go make the meaningful connection with this individual i'm going to commit to it because i think that'll provide more stability for me and then like i don't know height i don't know heightened pleasure in your life right you know i think i you know looking back i don't think i did that as well as i would have liked to bro to be honest um like in high school in a weird way like i kind of look at it like oh i was you know super high achieving and all this and yeah. whatnot but i think in reality, I had a much better sense of balance than I had when I entered Princeton. And when I was at Princeton, bro, I think it was different, bro. Like my friends would come over and we would just hang out on Friday and Saturday nights. You know what I mean? And we would sit and talk. And looking back, you know, that didn't happen as much as I would have liked it to have yeah. happened at Princeton. Right. It's like I, I until my senior year and my senior year is when I think I started to shift a little bit. And um like I kind of gave up some of my responsibilities, which felt really weird and alienating and didn't know what to do. But bro, it's just so few moments at Princeton where I just sat and like hung out with my friends on the couch. You know what I mean? Exactly. And I don't know if you, you resonate on your that. fingers. Yes. There's and so that, few. And that feels sad to think about, right? I agree. Did you did you kind of have that experience? And like sort of if so. Like, how do you process that? How do you, how do you feel about that? Has it changed you at all? Yeah. I mean, I haven't thought more like deeply into it. Yeah. You're right. I think, I mean, when I meant it, like you can count these instances where everyone's just sitting, no one's worried about the pizza. No one's worried about the next party. No one's worried about, and just connecting, mm. just getting to know each other. I feel like there's so there's moments are so few. I feel like I experienced, I experienced them in community action in CA when I let, when I led the CA trip. Bro, we both did that. I didn't know you. Oh did yeah, that. that's how we. That's how we met too. Maybe we CA. met. Yes, yes, yes. Yes, <laughs> that's how we met. Yes, yes, yes. Keep um, going. Right, facilitating discussions and then entering into those discussions. Mm. Like that's that's where I felt like, oh, I'm connecting. Yes. When I was an RCA, and we would have like my Z's, I I felt like I I, I was connected to them when I was sharing like, and the hearing sharing and hearing. Yeah. Um, OA at the beginning of Princeton, mm -hmm. we had we like bundled up in our in our tents everything was raining we had to connect yes. we were sharing our, narr our narratives right so there's very few spaces where you can intentionally build connections yes um so i wish there was more organic ways that students like former students could have done that yes. but i think again the onus is on us to create those spaces to design our lives in a way that allows us to make those connections bro i i really love that right because we're hearkening back to what you said right it's on us yes it's a rigorous place, but that's what we asked for. That's what we signed yeah. up for. Signed up and for to be honest, brother, the world is a rigorous place, right? Like we're about to head into, and, and that's what Princeton is so great for is it prepares you, I think, for, for what the world is like. And I'm about to go to med school. You're about to enter, you know, you might pursue an MBA and stuff. I want to ask you obviously about probably, this probably. and go forward, but bro, it only gets busier, I think, and you only get more responsibilities. So at least for me, a lot of that unlearning has happened in the gap year where I'm like, man, it's never like the email inbox never going to hit. Like if it hits zero, it's going to increase again. You know what I mean? You're going to have more tasks and it's just about really being okay with like putting that to the side and sort of like, if that's what your values are. And I think yeah. for me, that's what it is, bro. Like I don't want to be working nonstop all the time. Right. Yeah. Because like, and so I don't know. You, we hear this a lot, like self-care, et cetera, and it's improving in our culture, right? But I think it's really, really hard to actually, actually do it. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah, for sure. I hear you. Yeah. Well, okay. I agree. Yeah, I agree. Bro, absolutely. Thanks for sharing that. Um, and I think, you know, on this vein now that you've, you know, gotten to Princeton, you're there. Yeah. And you get really into, you, you started, I think it was called Prospect Student Ventures. Did my uh, homework. With some friends. Yeah, yeah, with some friends, definitely. Did my homework, right? I was and like a, on the founding team, yeah. Right. I didn't start it, but I was on the founding team building it up. Right, right. Okay, gotcha. Um, very humble man. Love it. Um, 
can we just talk about that? Can we talk about venture capital? Can we talk about, yeah, yeah, you know, definitely. your, your interests and, you know, cause I want to educate myself. This is another reason why I love doing these podcasts. Like you for mentioned, sure. For uh, sure. like, why am I doing this? I love learning from my friends. So for the novices, can you lay out what is venture capital? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. What does that mean? Yeah. And like, why did you get interested in this? Like, take me on that journey. For sure. Like the easiest way I can explain venture capital is think of a company. Let's, let's start slow. Think of a company like Uber. Yeah. Think of a company like Lyft or companies that are IPO now. Yeah. It would not be what possible IPO for, their, mean for the listeners. Sorry. It, it, they would not be uh, public in the market. Okay. They would not be uh, publicly traded companies. Yep. And, uh, but they weren't always like that. There's an intermediary of a person, of an individual mm-hmm. that gets, let's say, an Uber from its like small startup phase to right. the public offering, what it is now, everyone knows what it is, mm-hmm. right? That intermediary, there's a bunch, right? You can, go to, you can go to like a private equity firm, you can go to, which is like, again, a private equity firm is like just builds companies and grows companies through debt and collateral and mm-hmm. smart money, money investments. Right. But another option is venture capital. Right. Are you uh, like a thing like Shark Tank? All those people sitting in the Shark Tank watching the person pitch their new company venture are, are venture capitalists. Love it. They're people that are, it's a risky, it's a risky game, man. All of it's about risk. Mm-hmm. But venture capital is the intermediary that provides the capital for a stake of the company, a small company, a startup to get to a higher degree. Yeah. So the name of the game of venture capital is you have money, you pull up a, a, you, you, a, a money in your fund. Yeah. Uh, no, a traditional venture capital fund. Right. And um, depending on what industry you're expert, you're expert in, that's mm-hmm. what you'll invest in. There's also different stages of venture capital. There's like early stage, but like really, really early companies that are barely starting. Mm-hmm. There's mid stage, right? And then there's late stage where like, okay, these companies are big now. People know their name. Uh, there's big money on the line. Right. right. So there's different stages. So you, you can be a venture capital in the early stage, mid stage or late stage. You can mm-hmm. be a venture capitalist in a different industry, tech, digital space, digital, digital health, like uh, watches, like smart watches, mm-hmm. digital health. You can be a venture capitalist in healthcare. I have a great friend of mine. I don't know if you know Nico Fotopoulos. I do. Yeah. Um, yeah. That kid knows so much about um, venture capital, but like the healthcare side, the healthcare side of it. Okay. Um, biotech. Right. So there's different subsections. It's it, whatever industry you want. You can potentially just work there so long as the startup is in that industry right. as a venture capital. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And how I got into it was doing the entrepreneurship certificate at Princeton. My first initial exposure to venture capital was, uh, what was it? I didn't know what it was until like sophomore year, man. Right. Uh, I was just, I working. I was working at a tech startup in Detroit called SIFT. Mm-hmm. It's a, I'll even have a sticker here. I mean, a, a pin. This is go. like the SIF logo. <laughs> um, it's a healthcare, it's a, it's a software as a service company. Okay. Um, so they offer, think of it like an internal LinkedIn for really, really big companies. Okay. It helps you find talent within your own company because mm-hmm. it can be really hard when you have a big company. Got it. Um, I was also the sales rep, so I can give you a whole pitch. <laughs> uh, I can imagine. And uh, yeah, like I was like, okay, this is a startup. And then we all shared a building called the Madison in Detroit. Mm-hmm. And right above us was a venture capital firm. Uh, and it was, uh, I mean, I went to go peek around. Like, I was like, oh, hello. I mean, they are, they're very, venture capitalists are very busy people. Yeah. And I was like, what is this? Uh, what do you do? <laughs> and I sat one, I asked like, hey, what do you do? I love that. Oh, I'm an associate. I'm I an associate it. or like I'm a analyst at this DVP. It's called Detroit Venture Partners. Okay. Um, we grow startups onto the next stage of their lives, of their, of their like lives, right? Uh, think, yeah, think of a venture capitalist as a parent. Mm-hmm. to a company and they, you're, you're taking care of the, the kid, whether it's providing money or whether it's providing connections to, to, to the entrepreneur. Right. I, I get really excited about this. Sorry. I talk too fast. Dude, this is why I want to ask you about it. Keep going. Yeah. I can tell you love it. And uh, there's something just, I, I really, really, there's something there that I want to further explore. Okay. And I think whether it's, I think entrepreneurship can be, you can meet it at an intersection where it's like, obviously it's for profit is, mm. American capitalism, right? Yes. But social impact can also potentially be, sorry, mm-hmm. social impact can also be thrown into thrown in there and weaved into it. So for in the future, I definitely want to see how I can find 
of for-profit and then like the social impact integrated into it as, as a whole, it's hard, right? I need to know more. I don't know anything. I mean, I, I know very little about the space, right? Even though I know a good amount, there's just, there's so much learning that never stops. Right. Um, does that make sense? I th- probably like, yeah, I want to either do like in, in the digital health, like the healthcare space or the cloud space uh, yes. in the future. Yes. Makes total sense, bro. And that's what I sort of wanted to ask you about, right? Because, um, you know, I've actually had, I've talked about finance and, and whatnot with a couple of people on the pod, right? Because I'm trying to get a little bit more interested in it because um, I love what you said about trying to find that intersection, right? Because, you know, we don't have to get too into politics if you don't want to really. Um, but like, you know, a lot of people critique capitalism, right? And, and rightly so for a lot of reasons I can, I can, you know, understand, you know, um, and but at the same time, I have this feeling where it's like, this can be a very positive sum game if done ethically and correctly, right? Yeah. If we can have somebody who's, whose mission is for profit, but they're also trying to have social impact, like, can we even go even farther? Like I work for a nonprofit, right? I, I completely understand this space, right? I mean, not completely, but like the importance of funding and, and, and the power of that and yeah. what it can do, bro. Like, I just want to hear a little bit more about, uh, maybe you don't know now, but just like ways you feel that you can try to merge those, those two interests, right? Yeah. There are organizations that you can, you can form them into like what's called a B core, which is more like social oriented. Yeah. Um, instead of just an LLC, mm. which is like uh, a way you can structure a company. It's probably most common LLC okay. or, um, so there are different ways you can structure a company to the point where you have the for-profit obviously demands to your shareholders, to your board of trust board, but you also have the social mission. Mm-hmm. Um, that's called a B core. Yeah. I think, I think I'm hopefully I'm not mixing the name up. You're good, dude. But um, honestly, there will be trade-offs. I think people, there's like, that's the ideal. The ideal is where you, we can be, you can be profit, profit, profitable company. But you also have like some social orientation and some social giving. Right. Um, there's evident trade-offs that maybe are like they're tough pills, pills to swallow. Okay. Sometimes like if you really want to be successful, you have to focus on the profits. Yeah. If you really want to have impact, yeah. focus on the, make sure your profits are good and then give mm. uh, or then like do the social impact side. There are organizations that are starting to kind of like integrate the two. Yeah. And there's also, there's like, there's other companies that like appear to be social, like for, for like social impact. Okay. Absolutely not. Like, um, I read a case study once on Tom's. How, yeah. And that guy was on Shark Tank too. Talk to yeah. me. I read a case study on, on the company once how, okay, this is a business model where, right. You, you, you buy one and you, and then the social impact portion is that they give a pair of shoes to someone else in another one company. pair. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And what I found was, or what, what that actual research said is like the places that they were giving the shoes away yeah. to in those areas, those communities were like the biggest needs aren't shoes. Mm. The biggest needs are like financial stability or something like other things. And like, it was ruining the local shoe market of certain places. Like, cause they were like, Oh, we have these brand new shoes and you're killing off part of like, even though it's like small, you're killing off on uh, someone's, someone's work or job. Mm. Right. So I feel like organizations that have this, like buy one and we'll donate another one realistically need to like really just reach reassess, man. Cause sometimes mm. like, does that community, instead of giving him that pair of shoes, what about food or what about access to water or what access to education? Right. Instead of shoes. Right. Like it's a nice thing. It's, it's like, I think it's the thing that plays on like our egos to like, right. Give. Right. But without actually seeking to understand the implications that social impact oriented companies got it um actually have right got so it. i think the biggest the biggest issue between between this prop for profit and social impact yeah like what kind of impact is the goal okay um i worked with this my professor at princeton is mauricio miller mm-hmm. he started a thing called family independent initiative fii mm-hmm. and it's a uh, we worked with entrepreneurs in liberia in africa and we found out their biggest needs were like money for education yeah and um, but as entrepreneurs, they were like, they didn't have a, uh, an ecosystem in which they can like thrive on. Right. So what we did is like kind of like created this thing that helped 
first of all, we understood what their needs were. We didn't project what we thought their needs were, which is what okay. a lot of humans do. Right. Like this like savior complex. Yeah. And instead of instead of us projecting what their needs are, like, oh, they need they need so much food. Mm. They need so much, which they do, but their biggest need, like they're fine, like they're stable. What they needed was like education. Mm. Right. So what we did is we helped them raise capital. We created this thing like uh do you know what uh, crowdsourcing is? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, crowdsourcing is like um, for people watching is like a platform where go find me. Yeah, yeah. You start like a an account, you have like a purpose, and like people who like the idea go put like put money in there. Um basically we we provided a platform for entrepreneurs to get crowdsourcing money from anywhere in the world mm-hmm. um in order to facilitate their businesses, in order to make them allow them to enter into entrepreneurship and, and enter into like some of them were trades people like they, they would make wood some of them were selling jewelry that they made at home okay it's all small scale it's tiny but what we did was we got to their needs and we just provided the, the platform through which they could thrive we weren't we weren't prescribing them a, a, a path to, to to success got it because right? american capitalism is much different than like any other form of maybe capitalism in africa right there's okay. different there's different infrastructures there's different um obviously physical commercial infrastructure is different but you know like i think the biggest issue i'm going on a rant dude i love it keep going what are the the biggest differences and and whatnot yeah just like i think people need to like understand that if you're trying to be like have social impact just measure measure what kind of social impact you want it's okay measuring social impact is super difficult it's one of the most difficult (laughs) things because i know you can't measure like access to I mean, I don't know. I'm not going to go there, but it's difficult to measure impact. Um, societal positive, like positive societal impact. It's not like money where you can measure your return on investment of a, let's say a venture capitalist. Boom. I invest hundred K and a uh, hundred, like 10 million. And I get 15 million back. That's 5 million return. Right? Yeah. I mean, that's like, that's obviously larger ROI, but um, you can't measure social impact as mm. black and white. And so, yeah, before I, I'm going to stop there. I want you to keep going. Um, but wow, bro, that's making me think a lot, right? Because I've even, you know, faced some semblances of those challenges in my nonprofit, just like trying, because I work for a reach out and read of greater New York. It's, it's basically an early literacy nonprofit, right? Nice. We provide books through, you know, the pediatric visit, right? That's, that's the nuts and bolts of what we do. And it's, it's very, very difficult to track any of the children long-term, right? And and yeah. we do have research studies for sure. It's it's very heavily researched back. Yeah. Um, but also like you want to see those long-term benefits, right? So yeah. I, I love what you said about trying to measure your social impact. And you feel like, for example, Tom's, like it's not a measure of social impact necessarily to just say that we gave 10 million shoes, Yes. Right. Because, because we don't understand how that affects the other part the lo- of yeah, the, exactly. the economy. Right. Yeah. And so for you, do you, is this something that you want to do? You mentioned that, you know, you're thinking about it, but like, have you, you said healthcare maybe, and I'm interested in healthcare obviously. Right. So like, what are your thoughts there? And is that, you know, a road you want to go down? I think life has like different phases. Mm. And right now I'm going to a phase where i I probably will end up getting an MBA somewhere. Okay. But before I go, I need to go for the right reasons. And I mm. haven't found those reasons yet. That's why I haven't pulled the plug. Got I mean, it. I have to, that's why I haven't like <gasps> application GRE. Got um, it. All that to say, I think this current phase of like 10 years, I think I need to establish myself mm. in like an, a deeper understanding of markets, a deeper understanding of the economy, a deeper understanding of how, how adulting is. Yes. <laughs> um, before I try to potentially will when i when i enter that space because i will i will got it um i need to be ready that my my like you know my coliseum in here my internal self is is ready to be that selfless mm-hmm. or like like the life of a social entrepreneur mm-hmm. um i don't know man the life is like life is left turn here right turn here i might end up like in a completely different space and mentality but right now yes. i think i think what i'm focusing on is just like getting my bearing Okay. I think I've had an institution, you know, for the last 22 years, 20 years of my life. Yes. An institution. And now it's like, there's no institution except like this. <laughs> yes. And yeah. And bro. And I feel like 
I'm very glad you brought this back to this point because I feel like I didn't touch on this as much as I had wanted to earlier on in our conversation. Just what we talked about of you trying to resolve that clash, right? Yeah. And is, is that some of what you're referring to? And, you know, just like psychological well-being, right? And your values, right? Like if you want to talk about it, we have the space here. No worries. Yeah, for if sure. Not. I appreciate it. Because because I love what you said, bro, because you're kind of catching me on on my question, right? And calling me out in terms of like, People don't got to know what they want to do this early. Like you're 22, maybe like 23, you know what I'm saying? Like, I love the approach of like, you know, what am I going to do next year? What am I going to do right now type thing as opposed to that long term? Yeah. Feeling like you have to know what you want to do. Yeah, but, no, yeah. I agree. I agree. Um, also, like on the same topic you just mentioned, like if yeah. you have a five-year plan, 10-year plan, like you need to account for error. You need to account for change of priorities yes. you need to account for things that are out of your control and like to be that in control is like not it's not problematic but i think it's limiting to the, mm. to the lived experience now and to the lived experience i don't know i mean we're definitely planners you and me right you <laughs> just graduated from princeton or you i mean i just graduated from princeton you graduated a little bit earlier but we have plans we have aspirations but like thinking that far out not, not is like a little it's pressure. It's just pressure. Yes. Pressure that you don't necessarily need at the moment. Everyone has different circumstances. I understand. And sometimes that pressure is like, you have to do it because you Your aren't afforded depending the- on you. Exactly. Thank you. You understood it perfectly. Um, right. So that's my view on that, but um, I don't know what I will be doing. Yeah. You know, I- I'm next year. I'm working for a healthcare company in Denver. Okay. Uh, I'm working in like their finance slash hopefully getting to their venture. Or, yeah. Uh, it's called a kinodiasis company called Davida. Mm-hmm. And I'm working specific like finances for like once, like the hospital services of Davida. Yeah. So um, hopefully I can get my bearings there, understand some financial modeling, which I definitely need more practice in because Princeton's too theoretical, man. <laughs> yeah. But um, back to your question. Sorry, I went on a tangent, but just Love to share my, my plans, right? Um, sure. That whole mental thing there, uh, I've been seeing a therapist for like a year and a half now and through Princeton, Princeton actually paid for everything. Love it. And so I have never been more like thankful to the institution for that experience because it's like, it's really helpful when there's this clash and my parents don't speak English, man. Like I can't go to them and be like, Hey, I'm, I'm thinking all these complex thoughts. How do I, how do I parse them? Nothing. It's, just, yes. it's, it's I think when you get, when you, when you grow up in the U S and you speak English, like all your high operating, high functioning thoughts are in English. Yeah. Having to translate them into Spanish cumbersome to the point where like not, not only is it emotionally taxing now it's mentally taxing like no no mm. barrier to entry is really high to ask for my parents mm. so then therapy really helped me have a soundboard with myself i think i think of it as a soundboard like you're in like a studio and you just speak out and then it speaks back to you yes and it, it's been really helpful to guide my mind through this journey of the clash yes right where i, I the clash can sometimes make you, it's made me feel harsh on myself. Yeah. I'm, I'm a very harsh critic on myself. Right. And uh, I've, been, I've been, I can I've relate. Been kinder. I've been kinder to myself after therapy. Mm. I've been mm. patient with myself. And uh, so, yeah, I recommend therapy to anyone who, no, I think anyone, everyone would like, maybe it isn't for everyone, but for me, I've, um, I've, I've uh, come to understand the world in a different way. And not let externalities too much affect up here, mm. right? Seeing your body is like, seeing your body is like a vessel. You're just you're talk just to occupying me, Cruz. It. Talk to me, Cruz. I'm loving this. You just going. your body's a vessel. Your mind is the one that's like just how you choose to react to something is like really, really. I don't know, uh, but I think for me the clash has definitely felt easier to handle. Um, the distinction between values from Mexico to values in the U.S has been a lot easier to parse like what's right what's wrong right there is no right and wrong there is no right and wrong i think the the biggest like lesson that i wish i could tell my younger self is like if you think there's a right i mean obviously there's morals but if you think there's one right way one right way to do this or one way right right way or wrong way to think about this like it's just a binary view of the world that is it is doing the world an injustice doing our existing reality an injustice because mm. there's the world is so it's all gray space yes I mean, aside yes. from like, like, I mean, you're not going to kill anyone. Like, obviously that's like immoral, like morally that's wrong. Right. But there's like, um, like about values and cultures, like let's say the Mexican culture, 
um, it's more it's more easy to forego like staying up all night and working on this paper, right? I want to go and have dinner with my friends and Correct. just like have dinner for like six hours. Yeah. Or four, four hours, whatever. That's that's normal. That's casual. Like four or five hours just meeting up and eating and, you know, like that's that's one way to live life. And then there's like the other life where it's like, okay, I'm going to hunker down. I'm going to forfeit my friends because I'm an individual mindset. I mean, like yes. individualist. Yeah. Right now, my own success is my biggest goal, which is fine. It's different. Right. But it's the American American calling out to me. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm just going to hunker down and just work. And I'm going to completely ignore this other like relationship building or like less like robotic and less pressurized environment right so it's like this american speaking to me to like the mexican speaking to me and it's like you know you just have there's no one right way to do it it's just different it's just different what are your priorities ask yourself what are your priorities my priorities are definitely more than the mexican side and Mm. i have not felt comfortable saying that until now i guess until now speaking it um because i value emotional uh, because I value connections more than career success, 10, mm-hmm. 10 out of 10. Or I value connect connectivity on this planet, the short time we have on it. I value it way more than prestige now, or I value it way more than money. Money is like ugh, transitory. Like it's, mm. you know? Yes. And, and this is, you know, venture capitalist guy saying this, right? And this is important for people to hear, right? I think it is really important to hear. And bro, I just want to say, you know, and this is, you know, a little scary for me too, but your vulnerability is helping me as well. Cause bro, honestly, I've been going to therapy since like sophomore year of my, of college as well, dude. Let's go. Um, you know, I'm sharing that on the airwaves now. Hopefully people can, you know, find some inspiration from that, bro. Cause I think it's changed my life. It's literally changed my life. And so much of that has to do with, you know, the values based living that that you're talking about right you're talking about priorities you know we can all call them different things right but i think it's about values right and what are your values and i think for me um it was like a lot of you know things that i was telling myself in my mind were keeping me from living like the life that i want to live and the life that i want to value right and i think you know just sharing that just to resonate with you just to connect with you because you shared that with me um because that clash i think could be super difficult and i just like you said I recommend anybody, you know, it doesn't matter who you are. I think it's, it's a beautiful thing to work through that stuff. And it's not, it's not like super easy either. It's not like, Oh, you go there to feel good. No, you know, and this is what you're talking about. It's like you work on yourself and it's hard, but I think it's so, so valuable. So just wanted to, yeah, get that out there. Right. I love that. I appreciate your vulnerability, like reciprocating the vulnerability. That's my biggest, the one thing, like the biggest high in my life is like when, when vulnerability is reciprocated, I can, there's no other feeling that's more blissful to me than that. Right. Right. Uh, I mean, same here, bro. And so just hopefully if anybody's listening, like, and is thinking about, you know, going to therapy, just working on themselves, we need to get more therapy, you know, availability to people as well. It's very important. It's very expensive, very expensive, huge access, you know, gap there. Um, I just think it's really important, bro. I just hope people can hear this and gain some inspiration from it. Yeah. And the thing is, you're not alone, you know? Yes. Yeah, absolutely, bro. Um, man, this is amazing. Um, so I guess like on that front, bro, as we're kind of wrapping up here towards the end, um, who is Abraham outside of all this stuff, bro? Outside of, right? And this is more in line of what we're just talking about, but who is Cruz outside of, you know, Princeton outside of venture capital, what you're working on, right? Like what are some of the things that you're doing that, you know, bring you joy? I know in college, there's not a lot of space for this, Yeah, man. but like, what are your interests outside of all this, man? That's it. Yeah. Lovely. Um, you see this, hold on. You see this scar, you know, right there. Absolutely. That's for me jumping a fence yesterday when I was uh, plastered at a, at a UT grad party. I, I'm, I'm in Austin. Okay. And all my friends graduated, or a bunch of my high school friends graduated from UT. Right. And uh, I, like, there was, like, I dropped something, and they, they assumed that was really drunk. So they, they were like, hey, can you please leave? I was like, sure. Yeah. I went around the back. It was, like, this grad party, whatever. Yeah. I went around the back. There was, like, this big fence. I was like, let's do it. I miss my <laughs> friends. I'm not going to explain this to my friends. Completely just ruin my pants you know i get i get across i jump the fence i'm back right. in the party 
the worst thing is we leave 15 minutes later to like the post brutal um you know like i'm i'm right now i'm in a moment of like i'm celebrating yeah. i like to party yeah i like to enjoy experiences with with people that i i care about yeah you know life is short yeah and and life is is, is fleeting i've noticed that a lot yeah and uh I think the Mexican in me is like, not the Mexican, but like the really the Scorpio kind of like wants to be life of the party is really like, that's me also. Yeah. I'm yeah. a student, I'm academic, I'm whatever, whatever. I still like to have fun. Yes. And I think, I think COVID has made it more difficult to, to has made it, it's given me an opportunity to find different ways to play, mm. whether it's partying or whether it's dancing. Yeah. Uh, I found more ways to play. I love to dance. Yeah. Um, I wanted to ask you about who this. I am. I can show you a little bachata, a little cumbia another time. Yeah. I'll give you a lesson. Yeah. You know? I'm happy to give you a lesson if you ask politely. I yeah. will give you a lesson. <laughs> um, I love video games. I like playing video games too. You know, yeah. my downtime, okay. I play like like PC, PC gaming. Okay. Uh, maybe not the best habit, but uh, I think I'm obsessed. I'm also obsessed with like making new interactions with people. Mm. So I'm, I'm like, I'm always finding, trying to find new people. Yes trying to see how other people view the world because yes. I think it'll inf better my friend. This is my friend. Jake's there you friend. go. I love um, it. <laughs> this will better inform my current understanding of the, my, my dad taught me this. Mm. He said, uh, in order to understand your culture the best, you have to understand and you have to go out and explore and venture the world in other cultures. So you better know you have, you have an opportunity to better know yours in Got the context it. of all the other ones. Mm. So um, I love that. And I think I, I do myself a really great service by stepping out of my comfort zone and talking to new people, stepping out of my comfort zone and making new connections, mm -hmm. making meaningful connections such as this, right? This right. is beautiful. I love this. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah. That's 100%. who I am. That's who I try to be. Yeah. And who I am changes on a day-to-day -day basis, changes yes. on a weekly basis. I don't think there's a definite like, oh, this is who I, right? I think. Right. Yeah. Right. Bro, I love that. And and I think like, I've, I feel like I've talked about this several times on the pod at this point, but uh, like trying to find new ways to move my body and exercise. Right. And like dancing is that it's a beautiful thing, brother. Yeah. Right. Like it's a, it's a form of exercise. Right. But it can also make you really, really happy. And like, I feel like that's something that I definitely want to pursue at least a little bit more. I don't, bro. I don't even know if it would be just like dancing in my room by myself. I think, cause I love to that dance. That could be it. That you, could be you it. You know, I love to dance. I know you get down. I know you, you know get down on the dance floor. But like, just, just thinking about other ways to move your body and, you know, whether it's climbing fences, whatever it is, dude, love it. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, that's amazing. And, and you also, you also speak French, right? Yes. Uh, give you a little taste if you want, but uh, yeah. I've been studying it for like nine years now. I think yeah. it's so much fun. I yeah. think I, my first language is Spanish. So learning French as a Spanish speaker, do it. It's right. easy. Like right. problem, it's like it's an easy transition it's not easy but it's easier than if you didn't speak spanish okay i need to be careful what i say right yeah <laughs> i get roasted um <laughs> yeah, but we oui, uh je parle français et je peux, je peux partager quelque chose avec toi je sais pas mais uh, merci beaucoup pour cette opportunité uh latino right oui, i said oui, thank you oui. thank you for this opportunity um yeah bro i and i understood that because i took you know french in high school and you know some there we go some at Princeton, bro. But that's, that was going to be my question. Like my last question is like, is it possible for me to like continue learning? Cause I want to learn Spanish brother. Honestly, to be honest, I kind of regret taking French because I want to learn Spanish because I think it might be more useful for me. Do you think that it's like possible for me to learn this now in medical school or no? How, like, how can I do this? Oh, I need to learn another language, dude. If, if you're a medical school, man, if you want to forfeit sleep, sure, but I'm not, I would I I'm, I would say like no. Yeah. Right. I think the best the biggest thing is like integrating into like the biggest the, the best way that I know people learn languages through studying like learn how people learn languages is yeah. Um, integrating into the culture, integrating into that and like have that to. that that'll like have to like that's the fastest way to do it. Like it's not the only way. Yeah. It's the fastest, most efficient, and most like I guess easiest way because right. it's like fight like you have to you have to right. talk. Right. So if there's a way I can kind of get abroad and do it, like that's one of the biggest things I want to do in my life, dude. And, and like, I'm going to oh, do yeah. it. I'm going to oh, do yeah. it. Yes, and, you like, are. And just like kind of immerse myself and I want to learn Spanish brother. So I'm going to be hitting you up. 
potentially for, always. for some lessons there, dude. Always, um, always. Just give me a time and give me some, give me some leeway, and then I'll boom, do it. Brother Cruz, I just appreciate you, man. I think we're kind of close to an hour um, sure, at man. this point, bro. Thank you for coming on. Thank you for sharing. Hope people found some inspiration from this guy. You're a legend, bro. I appreciate it. Thank you so much, man. I appreciate you too. This is awesome. And whoever watching, have a wonderful day. Yes, sir. Peace out.